Macworld Podcast number 356 for Wednesday, May 22nd, 2013. Brought to you by Smile Software, makers of PDF Pen 6. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host this week, Philip Michaels. We are going to have a little bit of a departure this week. Instead of talking about Apple, we're going to talk about another company, uh, sort of the the belloc to Apple's Indiana Jones, arch rival and nemesis to Apple with with powers comparable to Apple's. We're talking about Google, which last week held its Google I.O. Developers Conference. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the the things that, that Google unveiled at that show. Uh, in the context of what it means for you, the the Apple fan, the iOS user, the uh, 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 man about man or lady about town interested in technology, I have two men about town on the line with me to uh, to talk about Google I/O. Uh, Lex Friedman. Hi there, Phil. Hi, Lex, and and Dan Morin. Hi, Phil. And both of you were paying extra special attention to uh, Google I/O. Uh, last week, and uh, I thought we'd start off by talking about some of the uh, Android APIs uh, that Google uh, talked about, in, sort of in the context of, uh, are these things that Apple is already doing with iOS? Is this something for Apple to set up and take notice of? Uh, Dan, you were, um, uh, you uh, in, in particular were, were covering the uh, API angle, and uh, just sort of remind the nice people listening to us what uh, what Google had to say. Sure. Well, well, for those who didn't turn out as soon as Phil said, Android APIs. Uh, yes, we're, we're really just talking amongst <laughs> ourselves right now. Um, there are a few announcements that came out of this. Uh, one of the first was new location-based APIs. Now, this is interesting because these are things, as it turns out, that uh, Apple is largely doing so far. They talked about three in particular. Uh, one is this new fused location API, which is basically a fancy way of saying that your Android device has a variety of technologies for figuring out where you are, uh, much as most smartphones do. It has you know, cell towers it can locate um, from, it has GPS, and it has Wi-Fi location abilities. And so Google is now sort of packaging all this into a, an easy-to-use API uh, so that it can sort of standardize it across the uh, for software developers. They don't have to implement their own location-based systems for taking uh, taking advantage of all these disparate systems. Rather, they can tap into a single API that knows how to use all three of those technologies to provide even better locations. Uh, this Sounds is something fiendishly uh, iOS-like. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, this is something uh, Apple's been doing for a while um, with their own core location systems and location services. Um, so, you know, in that in that realm, that's something very similar to what Apple's doing. They they announced two other uh, location based APIs. One is geofencing, which Apple also introduced, I believe, in iOS six. Seems um, like it was iOS negative four for how long it took <laughs> Google to do. Uh, and that lets you sort of define an area uh, and then set up events to happen when you enter or leave that area. iOS users will remember you can set reminders to trigger when you leave or arrive someplace. Uh, you can also use things like Find My Friends will let you set up alerts for when your friends sort of, you know, join you at your current location or depart their house if you're stalking them for some reason. Um, so th- those are those are definitely things that, that Apple has already done in the past. Um, in addition, I think they, they talked about some APIs for, for gaming as well. Which right. Uh, uh I I was watching the uh the live stream of the um 
of the the Google I/O press uh, Google I/O keynote. And was that uh, all four hours of it? That you were yes, I, I sat there for all four hours. Oh, we'll talk about the end of that keynote <laughs> later, I'm sure. But um, uh, when they went through the Google Play uh, uh, games uh, APIs that they were talking about, it it just it's it it was like I was sitting in on a on an Apple Game Center demo, right? Without the green felt, which aren't without as exciting the... to begin with. So hey. Right. I mean, the, the the one thing that I guess Google Play's version of Game Center has as an advantage over Game Center is that it can be cross-platform. So you could make an iPhone game that also supported Game Center, so if you or that supported Google Play's version. So that meant that if you if you create a cross-platform game, then people can play each other multiplayer cross-platform using Google's thing. Now, how compelling that is, I don't know. Because there are already many games that work cross-platform. All the Zynga games work on... You can play against people who are using a different kind of device from you, but that is a Game Center limitation. Apple's version, you can only play against iOS and Mac users. Super right. Stickman Golf, too, like or Super whatever version. Right. I meant two T-O-O listeners. Uh, Super Stickman Golf uh, supports the, the cross-platform. Right. There, there are a number of games that do that. And so the question, I think, for developers now will be, do you implement... Game Center? Do you implement Google Play, assuming that then you, if you ship an Android version of your game, that you can run a cross-platform easily without having to, you know, reinvent the wheel? Or do you implement both somehow? Will that and be I'll possible? tell you, there's a, this is tangential to our main conversation, but there's a, a game called Say the Same Thing. It's recently released. The guys from OK Go were involved in making it, and it happened to be the 50 billionth downloaded app. Um, but it's a fun game and I was playing it, but you have to choose. Do you want to sign in with Game Center or do you want to sign in with Facebook? And depending on which one, it can only be signed into one and it'll only show you friends who play from one network or the other. So if this is just going to add a third tier to games like that, it's kind of annoying. I want you to let me log into all of those networks and just find my friends wherever they are because I don't want to limit myself to playing only people who use one service. Right. And I'll, I'll add that I, I did I, I skipped the third, sorry, location-based API thing, which is actually something Apple doesn't have, which is this idea of activity recognition, which ties into fitness-related software where the phone can use the accelerometer and information to determine whether you're traveling by foot or on bike or by car. There are apps that do this already. Uh, on iOS in particular, there's an app called Moves which runs in the background and tracks where you go through the day and can figure out based on, you know, your speed and your gait and stuff like that, whether you're walking or biking. But this is potentially really attractive for people looking to design fitness-related apps. I will say the the thing I heard from Google on their location-based APIs that I found interesting, it's not necessarily something that Apple doesn't offer, but Apple hasn't said anything about it, but they said that it was limited to gobbling up one percentage worth of battery per hour. Um, which seems low. You know, if I, every time I use GPS intensive functions on my iPhone, I can sort of watch the Beltary melt away. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll hear something from Apple on how it's going to conserve battery life during, during geolocation stuff at some point too. Let's, um, let's keep on this theme of things that Google announced that, that will sound eerily familiar to anyone who's familiar with the way Apple does things and talk about um, the store redesign that uh, that Google unveiled for, uh, for it was Google Play, correct? Correct. That's uh, right. And so the, the redesign, among other things, adds uh, an algorithmic app recommendations feature. So based on apps you like, here are other apps you might like, mm -hmm. uh, which iOS owners will recall as Genius. Now, I will say right away that I think that Genius on 
iOS is stupid because most of the time, if it says, hey, you bought a to-do list app, you might be interested in this other to-do list app. Well, no, I have a to-do list app. I'm interested in, you know, productivity, show me something else. But it's like, you like word games. Here is another version of the same word game you already like. Or here's another version of whatever app that I already like. Uh, So maybe Google's algorithm will be smarter. And to Google's credit, I believe they said that the Google Play algorithm will take into account friend recommendations too, which uh, the App Store does not as yet do. Although in Game Center in particular, it will show you games that your friends play. So there's, yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't sort of backport that information into the app store they also um they they redid it i believe so they optimized the store a little more for tablets which is something that they haven't really done in the past and they said that now there will be indications as you're browsing of which apps are tablet optimized to which ipad owners can only laugh mercilessly since there's never been any confusion as you browse the ios app store about which apps are ready for the Uh, ipad and which aren't and also there are a number of different Google tablets and there are not yeah. a lot of tablet optimized Android apps. I, I, I think I think the, the the optimization for tablets is probably more of a reflection of the uh, the state of tablets in the in the Android uh, world. And, and let me just say as someone who has uh, uh, on this very podcast criticized the the app stores organization every time I I go into Google Play for an article I'm writing. I feel like I should write Apple a letter of apology because that. <laughs> so, so uh, the, these changes to the the Google Store can only be uh, can only be welcome. Well, and, and and that's obviously a big a big attraction to developers because right. developers looking to sell their stuff really want a, a friendly and useful storefront so that customers can actually find their apps. You have segued perfectly into the question I was going to ask Dan Morin. Which that's what is, I do. Um, which is. Uh, Apple's big advantage at this point in in mobile has been that developers want to develop there uh, for for various and sundry reasons. One of which I I, I would say is the fact that the App Store is it, it's for all its flaws much easier to discover apps there than it is on 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 the the various uh, uh, Android app stores. It, did you see enough uh, being done here to maybe make uh, developers rethink their uh, their uh, approach to which platforms to develop for? Well, I mean, my take is that iOS developers have a little to be jealous of. That is not have little, but have a little. Have some things to be jealous of now that Google's announcing for its App Store, for its Google Play developers. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of things like uh, their ability to give better stats, better indication of where users are finding your apps and how they're getting them. So more analytics data than Apple provides. Apple is, in fact, extremely opaque with developers about how users find their apps and where they install them from. Uh, and then also, uh, Google talked about this translation service they're going to be op- offering developers. It's not free. They're not saying, hey, we'll just translate your app so that it works for foreign languages too. But rather they're saying things like, we'll show you a list of different vendors for different budgets who can work at different speeds and do different things. But you provide a list of all the text strings in your app and you pick one of these vendors and we'll take care of getting your strings to them. They'll provide the translations and we'll automatically bundle them in your app for distribution to foreign countries. So you don't have to speak Russian for your app to speak Russian. And that's, I mean, that's cool. And especially given how the iOS is in, I don't know, I think it's something like 6.4 billion countries at this point. Uh, that's a lot of languages, and most developers don't speak them all. And, and that's a big market, too. I mean, speaking as someone who's wandered through the App Pavilion at Macworld Expos of years past, there are a number of companies that offer these this kind of service. And, and 
as Lex is saying, with the widespread nature of the App Store, there's clearly a lot of interest in that and a lot of demand for it uh, for people, you know, for apps to be localized in these various languages. So it's very clever of Google to figure out a way to sort of play matchmaker and say, hey, here are the services. Here's your app. We're going to make it easy for this to happen rather than you having to go through, you know, a huge rigmarole to find a vendor, contact the right vendor, get the billing, you know, pass information back and forth. So that that's definitely... One element I think that developers might find attractive, I mean, and along those lines, you know, I think there's also Google talked a little bit about how it can handle beta testing and and staged rollouts of apps. So, you know, you're you're creating a new app and you want to give people access to it um, on a limited basis iOS developers can do this, but it's very kind of crude at this point in terms of how it works. There's limits on how many uh, devices can be used for it, and then managing them can be kind of a pain. So Google looks to be trying to simplify that um, in the way that it lets developers roll out testing versions of its apps. Um, and that's something I think that that iOS developers would certainly like to see, or they'd certainly like to see some sort of progress and uh, evolution of that standard as it currently stands for Apple's platform. Lex, tell us a little bit about Google Now and what... Uh what Google uh, uh, did last week to, uh, to to add new features to that and how uh, iOS owners might find some similarity with what Apple does with Siri and also uh, reminders. So, I mean, uh, Lex Friedman devotees, and really who isn't these days, know that I'm obsessed with Siri and use it all the time. And Google now is... It's more than that, but it's it's Google's take on the same sort of technology. You know, Google Now on Android phones lets you talk to your phone and get information. You can use some of that Google Now functionality in the Google app for iPhone and iPad. And then besides doing it's, speech... It's supposed, to, it's supposed to be search without the rigmarole of having to type in a search request. It, it or serves or even inter- think about what you want to search yeah, for. It just serves up information based on where you are or what you're doing. And uh, that that's sort of the the five hundred yard view of how Google now works. So right, and right. so stepping with, back, continue, Lex. Well, with Google now, the the announcements that Google made, some of them were again amusing to iPhone owners, since they said things like, "Now you'll be able to trigger Google now and say things like, remind me to call Phil tomorrow at four p.m.' and then Google will save that reminder for you, and it will remind you at the chosen time." Uh, a feature not new to anyone who has ever used Siri on any device. Uh, I think that's iOS 5, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's 2011, I, I believe, that feature. <laughs> Welcome to, to 2011, Google. And it, it doesn't see, I mean, I don't know. Google really spent a lot of time talking about that reminder support, and it just, it didn't, I've, I guess I'm spoiled, right? It didn't seem to me like such an advanced feature since it's been around for a long time. They also, Dan had talked before about the location API, so you can do geofenced reminders. Remind me to call Phil when I get home. Uh, again, something that has been with iOS for a good long time. Uh, but the other kinds of Google Now features that they talked about that, that stuck out to me were various new cards, which is sort of the interface that Google Now uses to remind you about things. So if you give Google Now access to all of your Google stuff and you use Google for all your stuff, meaning calendars and email uh, and all that, then it can look and know, hey, uh, Lex is traveling to Australia this weekend. Let's show him his 
boarding pass as he gets close to the airport. And let's tell him how long it'll take for him to get to the airport in current driving conditions and remind him to go if he hasn't left soon enough. So it can pop up alerts like that, taking a little bit. I think Dan Morin actually uh, tweeted about it, taking a little bit of passbook functionality, merging it with the Google Now Siri-ness stuff and putting it all together so you can get these contextual and location-based notifications from Google. Google Now, whether you ask for them or not. And, and of course, you can use this on iOS, too, a little bit in the Google Search app, um, although it doesn't have all these new functionalities and it doesn't let you do things like reminders. Um, but I will say, I, you know, having just been on vacation in another country, it's, it's very cool the way that Google Now does can figure out contextually where you are and try to present information it thinks will be useful. For example, when I was in Italy a couple weeks ago, uh, it pops up a little widget that lets you do translations, give you like current phrases. It gives you exchange rates. What's what's the euro worth right now in U.S. dollars? Um, and so it, it's really stressing that whole idea of, you know, giving you the information you want when you want it without having to request it, whereas Siri is much more sort of an on-demand type thing. We'll have more tales of, of where Lex and, and Dan are traveling to and, and talking about Google <laughs> this I.O. Isn't, this isn't our travel podcast? No, no, <laughs> no. It's the Macworld podcast. And let's hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Macworld Podcast is brought to you by Smile Software, makers of the fabulous PDF Pen 6, which got a 4.5 mouse rating from Macworld. Why? Because it's the all-purpose Mac PDF editor. You can add signatures, text, and images. You can make changes and correct typos. You can scan documents and turn images into words that you can edit. You can fill out forms without ever having to worry about messing with a fax machine again. New in version 6, Microsoft Word export. You can also ed- have an editing bar for faster, easier access to tools and properties, and now the app has been optimized for Retina Display Max. PDF Pen cost $59.95. There's also a $99.95 PDF Pen Pro, which has all the features of PDF Pen, plus the ability to convert websites to multi-page PDFs complete with their own hyperlinks, and many more great features. Both PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro are available directly from Smile and include a free demo. You can also get the applications from the Mac App Store. Okay, we've we've talked about um, the things that Google announced that are uh, not that spectacular. If you're if you're a big time iOS user, let's talk about the area where Google enjoys a decided advantage over Apple currently, and that is Maps. I would argue. Oh, um, Maps. It, it, any disagreement that 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 Google is probably a, a a step or three ahead of Apple in the Maps game. Yeah, not. Yeah, they're pretty much. They're I think three is possibly underselling it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, what did Google announce in terms of maps at at Google I/O, and um, and should it be causing some sleepless nights in Cupertino? Well, there were two primary announcements. One, um, as you might expect, was the Google Maps app for smartphones. Um, and they took an opportunity to, you know, point out specifically that Google Maps for iPhone has done very well since they released it late last year. Um, and they took that opportunity then to make a couple digs about how their data is so much better Oh, yeah, that, than that was the you mama so fat portion of the Google I.O. <laughs> keynote. Um, your you know, map's specific- so inaccurate that when you go around the house, you're in someone else's house. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, they uh, they talked a little bit. They, they in fact they started off talking about data and how important data was and how many countries they had data for and these ground truth teams that they've deployed 
Um, and, you know, that is obviously a very pointed end of the stick to Apple, whose Maps program is notoriously uh, inaccurate or less than accurate in some places. So in the Google Maps app, they're spicing it up in a couple ways. There, A lot of it is interface uh, rejiggering um, in terms of making certain things more prominent. A lot of it is social related. So, for example, they're standardizing the ratings of small of local businesses across their website and mobile. So it's now all out of this five-star rating. Um, they've, you know, sort of broken off their Zagat ratings into a separate section for reviews. They're really, you know, emphasizing what is traditionally Google's strength, which is search and services and the idea that we know where you are so we can tell you a lot of information about these things that are around you. Um, but perhaps the biggest sort of announcement, which wasn't even really announced, it was just sort of thrown in at the end, was that the Google Maps app will come to the iPad, which it has not been on so far. You've only had an iPhone version. Um, and it will also come to Android-based tablets. Um, so that'll be a, a, a big a, a big addition for those who rely on their tablets to do navigation stuff. The, the second thing they announced, which was probably, you know, the larger of the two, is they've decided to completely overhaul the Google Maps interface on the web. Now, that that interface is fairly stayed. It's been it's been pretty much the same for, you know, since it was introduced with minor tweaks, it's sort of been minorly improved as they went along. They added more features and layers, but this time they've sort of taken advantage of all the new web technology that's out there to wipe the slate clean and start all over again. And a lot of it is based on stuff that clearly is influenced on a touchscreen approach. So, rather than you know, you go to the Google Maps page, you enter a search term like coffee places near me, and it's showing you a list of coffee places in like a pane on the side and then little arrows on the map. Uh, the map takes up the entire screen and it just sort of pops up the locations on the map itself rather than providing you with that, you know, list of options. Um, it's it's quite stunning in its view. It's all vector-based map tiles, which is the same thing that Apple does on iOS maps, which is to say, you know, it lets you resize things very quickly. It can scale on the fly rather than have little tiles that load in as you go. It's very smart about, uh, you know, zooming in on information, providing more detail as you get closer and closer. Uh, they made a big deal out of it being very contextual. And, and to a certain point, at one point, one of the guys said, well, it's a pretty much a unique map depending on where you click. Uh, it will figure out, you know, if you click on a coffee shop, it will show, you know, assume you want to look at coffee shops and thus it will emphasize where the other coffee shops are on the map. Um, if you click on a particular location, it will think, oh, you know, you're, you're looking at this location. Maybe you want to go there. It's going to make sure that it puts street names down on all of the streets that lead up to it and sort of de-emphasize other stuff that's off to the sides of the map. Um and it's got some other features built in that are will be more familiar to people who've used Apple Maps so far, like these 3D uh, animations and flyovers. Some of them were previously uh, part of Google Earth, which has uh, been a separate app on the Macs and PCs and iOS devices. And they've now implemented some of those features within Google Maps itself. So you can get these 3D rotatable views of certain cities um, in many places, you can even go inside these landmarks. They have these kind of funky, uh, it's like a, almost like a augmented reality tour. Um, they have a couple different things. One where it's like a 3D rotatable view inside a land, particular landmarks, and then some where it's actually these strangely morphed together photos of you know pictures that basically have been taken by users and uploaded and made available to Google Maps, and it will sort of morph them into one another as a as a crazy slideshow. I was playing around with them this morning, uh, and it's it's quite trippy. 
I would say that one thing that sticks out to me with, or actually two points that stick out to me with Google's Maps advancements now, are one, I do feel like at least today, the new web interface is going to have a period of adjustment for folks. I think it works a little bit less intuitively than it used to, although it's much more powerful because of it. That that point Dan was making before about how you won't see as many street names, so it makes the map simpler to look at unless you click on a specific place or on a specific street, and then that street's name will show up and you'll see you know those roads that connect to it more prominently. It's It makes sense once you get used to it, but it's I think it's an, a non-obvious way. It's pushing the, the bar forward for how online maps should work, but uh, people have to, to get hip to it. And the other thing that I was thinking about was how, you know, Google has no Apple competition for the online maps, right? For for web-based mapping, Apple doesn't offer anything. And I was trying to figure out, besides the fact that Apple's never been great at web services, why Apple wouldn't bother. And then my, I think the cynical answer is uh, giving even more people easier web-based access to their maps and their data right now is not high on Apple's list of things to do. No. But what should be high on Apple's list of to-dos in, in terms of uh, in terms of maps, Lex? In terms of maps, I mean, the number one thing Apple has to focus on is data and is convincing customers that there is no, no more reason for concern on data. I don't know how you do that. I think it's much easier to say in podcast form than to enact as a giant California company. But, I mean, it's amazing that it's, you know, a year out from when Apple first talked about maps and uh, still the thing people are talking about is inaccurate data. And you just, you hear a complaint about Google's mapping data is rare and a complaint about Apple's mapping data is common. And I think that's a, a serious problem. I, uh, in my friend circle, uh, not just the tech savvy folks, but you know, the normal people, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone who sticks with Apple maps on their iPhone. Everybody I know who uses mapping uses Google's app. I will say I go back and forth between them because I have I don't found, know you. Yeah, that's true. We've never met. But I will say, in particular, people in other countries, I think the the experiences are very different, um, more to the point that Google's maps are kind of equally crappy in a lot of places. Um, again, speaking to my... I'll be interested to hear about your, your your upcoming trip, I know, Lex, but in my recent trip, the I went back and forth between Google Maps and Apple Maps in Italy because there were times when Google Maps was not doing a very good job of showing me where things were. Um, and, and again, you're, you're totally right that the data is, is the number one, and I would argue really the only priority apple should have with maps at this point the the app itself for maps is quite good although the major thing that they're missing still is public transportation information and they've kind of offshored that and sort of ceded it to google in many ways um, by letting you route your public transportation information through the google maps app if you haven't installed um, i don't know if they're going to spend time trying to build something like that to roll out with ios 7 uh, it is kind of a weird strategic move because it is basically giving up that area and saying like, we, we just, we did not do this. Um, but I think data is, if they want people to use maps, the data is the, is the far and away the biggest part. It's one thing if it's just people are going to use the Apple maps because it's installed and they won't really know to go to Google maps, which is better. But the, but because it's so, there's been so much negative attention, everybody knows when they get their new iPhone they're, that they're going to download Google Maps, right? So that's actively hurting them at this point, I would say. And and Lex, I, I use Apple Maps almost exclusively because I'm <gasps> a, a savvy globetrotter like yourself. And apparently I travel the places where Apple executives Wait, travel because my, right. my maps in, are fine. Yeah, in San Francisco, you could probably get away with it fine. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, I wanted to talk about one other um, uh, uh, service that App- uh, Apple, Google announced uh, last week uh, at I.O., and it, it should be something of interest, I think, to both Apple and um, <coughs> Apple's customers. That's the, um, the subscription music service, the Google Play Music All Access. And uh, uh, Apple has not yet gotten into the subscription music game is there any reason to think that this is is something that's going to prod them to 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 move more quickly on this? Uh, you, on this you know subject? what's what's interesting about this? I saw this comment from a developer, Manton Reese, who's an iOS and Mac developer. Um, he pointed out that Google, the music subscription service, is pretty much one of the first consumer-facing services that Google has offered for money. Right, almost all their services are ad-supported, like Gmail. Um, or Google Calendar, Google Docs, that kind of stuff. Or uh, the pricier ones are targeted at businesses and education institutions, that kind of thing. Um, so it's very interesting for Google to move into this area because it's not something that's one of their traditional strengths. Yes, services is a big part of it, but they haven't always been really like pitching their own products to people for sale. Um, that said, there's been a lot of rumors about Apple launching a subscription music service this year. Uh, and it's built to a point where I think Based on those rumors, I would be surprised if something like that didn't rear its head later this year. I don't think it'll necessarily happen as early as WWDC because that's a developer-focused event. Um, but and there are sense to save its consumer and music stuff for the fall to, to the fall. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I don't know if Apple should be worried. There's so many music services out there already, which is the the weird thing. Like you know. A lot of fun's been made of Larry Page saying we really need to do all these crazy things as Google, and yet almost everything they announced was something that's already being done somewhere else. Uh, there are tons of subscription music services. Google, I think, may feel it's low-hanging fruit, and it's an opportunity for them to generate direct revenue by having people pay them for something, which is unusual for them, as I said, but it's it's a good opportunity. Um, they certainly want to bolster their ecosystem as far as digital media goes, because that's a huge advantage that Apple has, right? An iTunes store is enormous. Um, it's sold billions of songs. They've got huge deals with all the music and video and and books, and, and Google has been playing catch-up to them in, in a large degree. Uh, and it's one of the big powers of, of iOS as a platform is that you have access to all of these things. Um, so I think Google felt like it needed to do it, and it felt like the subscription service was a good opportunity for them for, for them to provide something that Apple does not currently provide. Um, but I, I don't think that you see Apple quaking in its boots. The the thing that's interesting to me is that for all the hype Google gave its music streaming service, where it talked about how there's going to be curated playlists from genre experts. So if you're like, I like this song, play me a bunch of music like it. It's not just algorithmically, but in, in theory, human-driven playlists. But none of it seems that different from any other music subscription service. You know, I think that RDO and Spotify and whomever else, uh, they're not identical services but they're they're close enough that i don't see what google's offering besides the fact that it's google and since the other guys all have android apps not to mention iphone apps i'm not sure what's compelling about a google offering or even what apple can make compelling about an apple offering that right is there music is there music we haven't heard like that's that's the thing is like it's so the music industry being so homogenized and everything we we see the same music at all these different services so it's really just a question of whether you want to rent it or buy it and then there's options for both of those i'll I'll throw this out there maybe apple leverages its relationships with the record companies 
uh, to offer to be more extensive than than some of these other services. That's that's just me spitballing, actually. Yeah, there, I mean, there's opportunity still. Uh, I think you know things like pricing models and availability. Um, there's there's certainly exclusivity deals that could be made that help you bolster that to a certain extent, but. We're in this very strange sort of situation right now where, you know, within the last 10 years, we've gone from this, everybody's got a music store, and then a lot of the music stores died off. But, you know, you've got a couple. You've got Amazon and Apple, which basically dominate the market. Google's not really been a player in that area. So now we've got this new sort of second tier of subscription services, and it's a question of, well... Like with the video services, do you give your money to like four different music services or is that ridiculous? I would say it's probably ridiculous. You're probably, you know, they really are. This is more of a zero sum game than being able to say, well, I can buy some tracks from Amazon if I like though, if they've got a better price and I can buy some tracks from iTunes if I just, you know, that happens to be what's convenient for me right now. But you're probably not going to want to start shelling out $10 a month to like four different music services because the vast majority of all of that is going to overlap. So features, exclusive content, deals, as Phil, you were saying, with, with record companies, that's the kind of stuff that's going to try, you know, convince people to go with one offering over the other. And integration is the other big part. And that's something Apple's done a very good job of with the iTunes store, you know, integrating that into iOS and Mac. For its users, it's a good solution for, you know, 90% of the time. Uh, and so if it's working well and it's integrated well with the rest of its platforms, that's going to be compelling for a lot of Apple customers. I think for us as uh, as people who cover Apple, the the Google I/O keynote is interesting because Apple's Apple's presentations really tend to be tightly focused uh, to to the point where sometimes they'll have product announcements that they don't even talk about in the keynote. Wrap things up in in ninety minutes, no one gets hurt. Uh, <laughs> as we've alluded to, the the Google I/O keynote went on for what three and a half hours, yes. nearly four hours, and uh, featured a very interesting uh, uh, segment by Larry Page, Google CEO at the end of it. Um, I, I mean, he took questions for what, 45 minutes? I don't yeah, think Tim, yeah. I don't and think I've heard Tim Cook speak a total of 45 minutes in the time that he has been CEO. <laughs> like if you glue together all of his like financial call interviews and stage presences, like I think you'd hit like the 30 minute mark. I'm also trying to imagine Tim Cook speculating on on maybe it would be better if we all released our our medical records and and, and had an what if island. I had an island yeah. where I could do what I want free from <laughs> free from your your human laws uh, which which I, I'm exaggerating but were were some of the it seemed like Larry Page was riffing and I I, I thought it might be interesting to compare and contrast the the Google uh, approach to to keynotes there I, and the um, what Apple does where it's more I, tightly controlled. And see, what I think it is, is playing exactly to Google's fan base. Because um, I was trying to think, what is the point of this? He really, um, he added very little to the keynote itself. Whether you thought what he said was interesting is another thing. But in terms of, you know, here's something beneficial to the keynote, you learned nothing more about Google's product unveiling announcements from Larry Page's Q&A and speech. Um, but I think saying, hey, let me take some questions from anybody here, plus Robert Scoble, is really... <laughs> Uh, and is really saying, look how open we are. The other guys will never do this, but we are we are Google and we are open. And I think it's, I think it's uh, duplicitous, or I think it's uh, I think it's trickery. I think it's stage tricks. Let's say stagecraft. But um, yeah, I think it's look how open I am. Ask me anything you want, and I will answer it. And there were whenever I, I think he mostly got softball questions, which isn't surprising because he mostly had fans of Android there. Um, but 
you know, anything that it was, it was as with any other public Q&A, uh, he wasn't really going to make major news of saying, you know what, we're wrong about that or get angry or fly off the handle. He he gave exactly the sort of political answers you might expect with maybe a slightly harsher public criticism for Oracle than I had expected. I thought it was basically a 45 minutes of Larry Page practicing his stand up routine for the open mic night. You know, like, oh, what's what's the deal with laws that are older than 50 years old? Huh? Huh? What good are those? Anybody? It. It was it, it was like a fish concert. Where they, hey, we're just going to play. <laughs> we're just going to keep playing. Well, and Lex is right. Like this is really definitely playing right into the hands of the Google fanboy, you know, fan base. And and it's hard to imagine Apple doing anything like this because they are so controlled and so, uh, you know, on message for better or for worse. I mean, I think there's a lot of times where people would certainly like to have an opportunity to lob questions at the people who can actually make a difference when it comes to policy. And there are certainly a lot of things that people would like to get answers from, um, from Apple on some of the harder questions about, you know, their app store issues that we've encountered over the last several years and, and their policy on certain things, but it's not going to happen. It's just, it's not, Tim Cook's not going to get up on stage and say, Hey, you know, hit me hit me with what you got um it's not i think that that would be that would make for a very unpleasant keynote i i have to say (laughs) you would just get the i mean look at the the questions that get asked at apple shareholder meetings yeah they're they're Uh, they're innate i mean they're 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 random and they're off the they're 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 off topic and it it's people uh grinding whatever particular axes they have oh that would be very unpleasant to add that to <laughs> yeah. a wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be great to have someone come up and ask a question about some obscure api and how come it doesn't work this right way tim i, I want to know why al gore is on your board of directors just <laughs> things like that, that yeah so be- uh, it's it's very interesting to see the disparity between the two of them google did seem to like let's just throw stuff out there and give you like everything it's like one of those it's like a it's like a buffet they've just got like hey have a little bit of this have a little bit of this whereas apples i think tends to go more of the prefix meal like all right we're gonna start you off with a little bit of this we're gonna give you one of these we this and then we're gonna wrap it all up with this um and it, it, there are different ways of doing things i'm not sure one is superior to the other um they're clearly both designed to appeal to their audiences um but it does put into stark relief uh, the fact that despite these two companies being competitors and being in the same sphere, they are very different. So we're uh, less than a month away from Worldwide Developer Conference. Uh, no one in this podcast really knows what Apple is going to do. But was there anything at Google I.O. that 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 screams out for a response from Apple? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll make this our wrap-up question. Lex? I mean, to me, the, the two biggest areas where I think it's obvious to folks who are plugged into both platforms where Apple is lagging behind um, that I think must be addressed are developer tools. I think developers want more tools so they can better track and monetize and promote their apps. And I think that Apple has got to provide them because when iOS developers are expressing jealousy of Android development tools, there's a problem. And I think that, I mean, I'm going to save maps for Dan, but I think that uh, Google Now is doing enough impressive stuff and it's it's seemingly really smart cloud level processing of all the inputs that your life generates so that it, uh, your devices can be useful to you without your asking for help. I think that's something that people are going to see more and more of on the Android side, see their friends actually using and enjoying the benefits of. And if Apple doesn't have a match for that, it'll be the focus of all of Google's ads and that won't be great for Apple. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think Lex is definitely right about that last part, and especially when we look at Siri and see the kind of things that Siri has been promised to do, and then if you use Siri in reality and you're not Lex, who actually has become, like, best friends with Siri or something, <laughs> um, then, you know, it sometimes, or in some cases, quite often, <laughs> falls short of what you were hoping it would be able to do. Um, and so it was great when it was announced. It was really, you know, really groundbreaking, but it's kind of languished. Uh, and it seems like they need to devote more attention to that. And and then, as like I said, maps maps is a big deal. I think for for consumers in particular, uh, you know, that's put a real dent in Apple's armor and its perception by mainstream consumers. I mean, you know, when even my mom knows that you know Apple Maps are horribly inaccurate, you know, then, then Apple has a then Apple has a perception problem on its hand and and needs to do something to change that. Um, I don't know what that is, whether it's really making a huge push and saying, like, look, we've sent people, you know, Tim Cook has personally dispatched 100 people to every country to map every inch. Um, or, you know, if it said, look, we're, you know, we, we're going to make a licensing deal with Google to bring their data back, which would be hilarious and I think unlikely. But, you know, that's that's another way for them to possibly go. But, yeah, that's that's something I think it, it definitely needs to address. Um, maybe not at the developer level, but certainly within its next major update of iOS. Well, whether uh, Tim Cook has, has assembled a, a private army of cartographers to <laughs> comb the countryside, um, I am sure we will have plenty more to say about the Worldwide Developer Conference as we get closer to that event. Uh, in the meantime, it just uh, it, it's just my, my obligation to thank you, Dan Morin, and you, Lex Friedman, for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Phil. Thanks, Phil. But the biggest thanks are to you, the listener. This episode of the Macworld Podcast was brought to you by Smile Software, makers of PDF Pen 6.